I'm conductor and creator Timothy Myers, and I can't stop chasing the question, what would the world look like with more listening? This is Listening on Purpose. Today's guest is Michael Norton from the Conscious Leadership Group. I wanted to do an episode digging into the idea of listening to oneself, and Michael is the perfect guest to explore this with. He is an Enneagram and Conscious Leadership coach. And if you're not familiar with what Enneagram is, don't worry. It's a fascinating personality test we're going to talk more about and actually use me as the guinea pig. So you're going to find out a lot more about me. Um, We're also going to get into the concept of a full body yes, which is something that will change your life. I'm glad you're here. Let's go. I'm excited to have a conversation today and hear from your expertise on a couple of different things. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the Enneagram, I, of course, want to get to um, and talk a little bit about personality tests, but also this idea of listening to oneself and some of these frameworks that I know you're experienced in. Mm -hmm. Um, But first, I do have to ask, where are you from in the Midwest? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the, mo- the most important question. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm from uh, Chicago, originally outside Chicago. I grew up about 45 minutes west of the city in the suburbs. Um, but I, I generally tell people that my home is Michigan. Um, mm-hmm. I spent my summers there as a kid, and then I went to high school up there. Um, and uh, whenever I go home, I'm usually going home to go to Michigan, Um I spend more and more of my life kind of commuting back and forth between London and Michigan. So uh, these days that feels like home. Um, I was talking to somebody the other day. They said, uh, was it somebody in my family, I think? Uh, And she said, um, oh, yeah, it was my cousin. She said, "Um, when people ask me where I'm from, I say Chicago. And they're like, what state is that? And I say, Illinois. Oh, (laughs) Oh, I'm from Illinois. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or it's just yeah. a, t- a territory, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, but then it's like Michigan. Oh, Michigan. It's so great. So so I say I'm from Michigan. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I'm asking because I saw that in, in your bio, and I'm I'm originally from Kansas. So Oh wow, okay, great. Of course whenever I see Midwesterner, you yeah. know, I have to I have to, <laughs> I have to Yeah, I think that I think you've bit. got the real claim of Midwesterner, like right in the middle. Chicago somehow feels I don't know. Uh a little less corn fed (laughs) for for better or for worse right (laughs) and we also have a lot in common um Mm. in the world of performing um you i mean you are a a theater artist and have you know performed in venues across the world and so i'm I'm curious uh, what's the sequence here i mean how did you Mm -hmm. come from you know, being a theater artist, a performer, and into the work that you're doing. Yeah. Um, there's some days where it feels so disjointed and some days where it feels like such a clear thread. So let's tune into the clear thread here. Mm. Um, I started my uh, creative life uh, as a musician. Um, I uh, was first drawn to chorus um, mm-hmm. to the voice singing. Uh, so I started singing in a, in a chorus from about the age of five. Um, and then from there came piano and then I started adding other instruments. Uh, I think I said this to you at, at one point in my life, I was certain I wanted to be a conductor, although choral, yeah. not orchestral. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, then at a certain point that, um, there's something about music that felt too disciplined. <laughs> <laughs> all of you musicians you're so good at like the you know the regiment and then this like beautiful performance that seems so natural and you know easeful and yet is so technical and that, that mm. just didn't feel like such a dynamic strength of my creativity so I started becoming more and more interested in the theater and in, as a part of that you know I think I was becoming more and more drawn to a, a process of self-observation of self-awareness mm-hmm. um, kind of understanding and mapping human behavior and then eventually kind of human consciousness um, uh, at the same time that I was, um, 
started studying theater. I went to um, uh, Interlochen, which is a, an arts yeah. high school, and then I went to university for theater. All of that was theater based. Um, my parents, uh, so my parents are, are um, Jim Dethmer is my stepdad and Debbie Berta is my mom. And they both started going to um, a lot of uh, like uh, consciousness studying spaces. So um, the Enneagram, uh, working with Helen Palmer and David Daniels, and also uh, going to the, the Hendrix Institute. And what I found was that we would come home and kind of compare notes of like what we were studying and acting and what they were learning in these consciousness spaces. Oh. And it was like, oh, it's kind of the same thing. We're kind of playing the same game here. The, the output is, you know, different. But what we're really practicing is observing the body, listening to impulse, yeah. um, understanding sort of the why behind, um, and really getting a sense of we are not our personality. We are not our ego structure. Um, for the actor perspective, it was so then I can kind of build one for a different character. But... So that was sort of the kind of the initial linkage. And then from there, I just started journeying a lot. I traveled to, to Berlin, where I uh, worked in the contemporary performance world for a long time, using my body a lot uh, as a part of that, more in sort of dance spaces. And then at a certain point, it just became clear that I was creating performances that were about holding and supporting others, hmm. um, holding and supporting others on a path of compassion. Um, you know, I was creating immersive work and one-on-one -on -one performances and, and work where I really wanted to kind of have an impact with the audience. And so I started to kind of see that I was gently transitioning from an artistic creative practice to something that looked more like coaching. Mm. Um, and I just sort of followed that river, you know, trusting my parents um, along the way. They, they were a great light and a guidepost to me and that they um, have done a a brilliant job of building both a business around the Enneagram and building a business um, around coaching. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it's, so it's like when I really tune into it, it just felt so inevitable and easeful to start sliding into what I do now, which is um, supporting people to understand the Enneagram as a personality system. Um, in essence, kind of waking up to uh, their essence, waking up to who we are. Mm. That's beautiful. I, it's, to step back to something you you said, this idea of, you know, when you were finding all these synonymous themes between your work as an artist and mm -hmm. this other journey that really ended up being very, very parallel, it just struck me that that makes a lot of sense to me because I think as artists, what we're really well, in our truest selves, what we're in search of is the most authentic performance, right? <laughs> and so this search for authenticity, that, that, that it seems to really kind of go hand in hand. And that in a lot of way, I know as a performer, and I'm sure you had this experience as well, the, the greatest performances, and this is, of course, you might be playing a character that's not yourself, but that it's when you have that greatest sense of authenticity, right? And, and that, and the, the yeah. greatest sense of being at peace with yourself so that you can really be a vessel for something else, right? To create something else, um, for, for the audience. So it's interesting to hear you talk about those things because I do think they are very similar and you just, your self-expression of it changed a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that like what you're speaking of is is what I understand is my gift as both an artist and as a as a coach, which is that sense of alignment to authenticity. Like early on, you know, I, I think that you probably as a musician you have that sense as well. That sort of like, Ugh, it's not quite right. Like some mm -hmm. some some sense of the body is attuning to the flow of creativity. And yeah. when when creativity feels kinked or when it feels like we're you know, for me, it's oftentimes it's like, am I doing this for my own creative being or am I doing this for approval? Am I doing this for sort of uh, because someone else desires me to create in this way? Mm. Um, I, I, I've learned over the years to really develop. I'm sort of touching my chest here. It's like a felt sense that kind of <laughs> rises from the belly up through my heart. And, and um, that feels like an authenticity meter. Mm. So now in service with when I'm coaching, so often there's just a sense of like, 
yeah, I just don't know if what I'm experiencing feels in total alignment. Right. Feels in total integrity. Let's talk a little bit about Conscious Leadership Group. This is how um, I was put in touch with you. Um, mm -hmm. is, and I encourage people to um, get to know that organization more. We'll put all the information for how to do that in the show notes. But yeah, great. could you tell us a little bit about Conscious Leadership Group um, the, the frameworks um, that, that you utilize and what are the goals of your work? Yeah. Yeah. So first the goals really like kind of one of our big themes that we're looking at is just like, are you, are you really willing to kind of let go of drama in your life? Mm. We find that a lot of, you know, high performing teams, um, uh, organizations that have lots of people and lots of energy, there's just a sense that what's lying underneath a lot of it is um, drama, uh, uh, wanting to be right, uh, like mm. um, uh, resistance, a sense that we need to fight for um, either or logic. Um, mm. What we would say is that's in a space of kind of uh, uh, like the world. I'm at the effect of the world. And so I need right. to do something about it. Mm -hmm. You mentioned at the beginning that piece of acceptance. Um, and that feels like what we meet a lot is people who are in some state of resisting reality, <laughs> resisting the way that things are right it's now. It's so good. It's so easy. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, you know, when I think I think it was my stepdad that said he was like, you know, just resisting reality is what creates suffering. Mm. Like, oh, yeah, that's true. Um, so with the paradigm that we operate from is basically there's a line, right? Uh, it's it's a, it's a simple some might say oversimple, but it's a really, really powerful tool. Mm -hmm. At any point, we want to locate where you are. Are you below the line around an issue? So are you in a state of threat, reactivity, wanting to be right? Uh, you know, recycling drama might be some of the, the outputs here. There might be some adrenaline running. Um, or are you uh, above the line? And above the line is committed to learning to curiosity, mm. to, uh, you know, the sort of both and, um, that there, that there is no winner or loser necessarily. Mm. Uh, and we all spend most of our time below the line. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> most of us spend most of our time living in this space of where there's some threat out there. There's something that I need to resist. Um, and so a big part of what we work on within our coaching team is just supporting people to bring a sense of radical acceptance, mm. um, love and self-compassion. And once we sort of get to there, then we can see that we are not, uh, the, we are not at the effect of our reality, but rather that our reality is something that we can be the author of. Mm. That in fact, the circumstances out here. Yeah. Out in the world is an evidence of what we are. Some part of us is unconsciously wanting to see. Right. Right. And it's interesting to think about that. That we can be cause in the matter. Yeah. Right. And the, and the power that mm -hmm. comes from that realization, but also the willingness to take that responsibility. Yeah. And that's the word we use is responsibility, right? So it's, it's a, it's a subtle shift between, yeah, it's my fault, right? Mm -hmm. The sort of turning the blame back to me. Um, I do, I, you know, that still feels like it's in some version of threat, right? So I'm going to, I'm going to create myself, uh, as the villain and mm -hmm. you know punish myself. And, um, what we're sort of offering is exactly what you just said, which is, are you willing to take 100%, 100% responsibility for what's out there in your life? Yeah. Yeah. It, it reminds me it kind of tying this to leadership a little bit. Uh, okay. I had the privilege of being the protege of a very famous conductor. And mm. one time he didn't say it to me, but I heard him say it in an interview um, that as a leader, the best thing you can do is take responsibility for whatever happens. Right. Mm. So even something that if you were to analyze it a little bit and say, well, was that directly my fault? Maybe not, but mm. that by choosing to take responsibility of anything that happens that you're involved with, there's a power there because then you can really 
you can deal with it, right? You can get your hands around it. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to say, I think this is a trick that some leaders can fall into of I'm going to take responsibility, meaning that I'm going to um, say it's my fault whenever something bad happens. Mm. And there's a subtle shift there of we're going to put the finger down. We're going to stop the blame. Mm -hmm. And instead, we're just going to offer this sense of uh, uh, a a curiosity about what is Mm -hmm. and that there is neither good nor bad in that, that there just is. And I am seeing this comes into where one of the things I wanted to point to when we talk about listening today, which is that. Um, I am, I am, uh, creating a version of that reality by the way that I'm observing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that there's a will, there's a way to shift. Mm. Yeah. Beautiful. This might end up being the first four hour listening on purpose interview. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> so yeah, right. Exactly. Um, uh, might have to have an intermission. I would love to, and we can do this in whichever order you like. I would love to talk about Enneagram and personality tests in general and and that aspect of listening to oneself. Um, And then I really want to make sure we have a a chance to talk about whole body yes. And Mm -hmm. maybe even if you're open to it, you can even just lead us a little bit through a process so that everyone can all the listeners can really understand the power of something like that. So yeah, uh, do you have a direction you'd like to go at this fork in the road? Hmm. Let me speak a little bit about like the Enneagram kind of from where we were. So I came across the Enneagram um, when I was uh, still a young and I was about 17, I think when my mom mm. started um, uh, studying this kind of far out kind of looks like a witchy symbol. Um, mm. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's like, you know, it's like a, a circle. I have my some... results right here. <laughs> oh, great, great. Oh, great. Yeah. And, and uh, my first interest was sort of that of like, yeah, again, like I said, from acting, right? Just like, oh, what is this thing that tells people about who people were? And it was sort of a kind of a psychological fascination sure. tool for a while. Um, but what's been really profound for me as I've really sort of stepped into um, a devotion to this system is seeing that the psychological is simply one of three pillars that this rests upon. So a lot of people come to the Enneagram out of a sense of like, oh yeah, that's the way that I am. I want to know my patterns. And it's mm. so good for that. It's so good for spotting the things that you get up to, the patterns that you that you run around. But the real purpose of the Enneagram is not so much to reinforce and sort of say that's just the way I am. The purpose of it is a way of recognizing this is a personality that you've identified with as being who you are. Right. And there is more, much more than that. Hmm. Um, we think of, you know, one of my teachers talks about that uh, there are about 20 million bits of data that are bodies minds hearts can absorb every second now i don't know what a bit of data is but it sounds like a lot right Um, (laughs) but we're only able to consciously comprehend between 15 and 40. Mm -hmm. we've got these little little pea-sized brains that just can't quite understand the full grasp of the world and the universe right and so we are selective about what information we actually attach meaning and see. So in terms of listening, we have a selective sense of listening, not just through our ears, but through our hearts and through our guts, through our bodies. Um, And all of those things make up a certain worldview, a certain limited belief system that we choose to Mm. see the world with. And the Enneagram is a great tool to say, that's just one way of experiencing reality. And there is Mm. something much greater beyond that. The other two uh, pillars of this that support that of the Enneagram are the spiritual and the somatic. Mm. Um, Used to be taught just as the psychological and spiritual, but they've really brought in the somatic piece, the sense of the body, the felt sense. And these three combined really have this like woven integration sense of 
both, yes, spotting, spotting psychological patterns, but also understanding how we are the authors of our own suffering. Mm. And therefore, we can be the authors of our own uh, grace, our own sense of, of ease in the world. Um, and it's, you know, it's a, it's a life path. It's a life journey to go on. Uh, it's, it really, I, I feel that it's just reveals itself more and more deeply. Hmm. Um, I think of my mom who's been studying it, you know, for over 20 years now, and she's still having these waves of revelation about her type and how it shows up. Um, so the, 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 the complexity and the depth of it is what really, um, just keeps me so engaged and so grateful for what it offers hmm. um, to me and the people who are around me who I see practicing with it. It's so interesting. I, I, I did do the Enneagram uh, assessment and I, I, I want to talk through that and maybe get a little mm. bit more insight uh, <laughs> in, into it. But yeah. I, talking about other personality assessments, mm -hmm. um, I, and this is really what brought me to wanting to have this kind of conversation was I took the Myers-Briggs for the first time last year, about a yeah. year ago now. For the, and I'm in my mid-40s, so mm -hmm. I, I had just never done it before. And mm -hmm. I was doing some work and, and a friend of mine said, I think in order for you to be more effective in this, you know, you should consider taking one or more of these just to get a little insight. and. It sounds silly. I, I took the Myers-Briggs and I took one other and I called him and I said, I finally feel understood. Hmm. I feel, I, I feel gotten right. And, and because I, I would, I read hmm. the results and I thought, Oh, that, yes, that is me. And there was, I, I, I can't explain it. And maybe it sounds a little hokey, but I really, there was this kind of a, this release for me, right. Hmm. To say, ah, I, okay. The, someone's kind of putting some things in context for me to better understand myself. And so there was a great amount of freedom that came from it in, in understanding some of these things. The Enneagram, it, it seems as though it goes deeper hmm. perhaps than some of these. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah. First thing I want to say about personality systems is look, I'm no snob. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I, that experience that you just said, the feeling of being gotten, you know, mm -hmm. one of your, one of your guests, um, one of your first guests, Julian's Julian treasure, yeah, um, yeah. spoke about, you know, practices of conscious listening. And that's mm -hmm. a big part of what we use in, um, conscious leadership group. And it's a big part of my life, you know, and that, that key of feeling gotten, mm -hmm. um, my sense is that is a resonance, not just of the mind, but of the body that it, mm -hmm. it's a, it's a way that you can sort of soften, mm. lean back a little and say, ah, oh, yeah, okay. I'm gotten. So yeah. first anything, you know, astrology, numerology, Myers, you know, all these things that maybe people have a lot of strong opinions. I'm of the opinion that if you feel gotten, really gotten mm. by the system, great, wonderful. Mm. What a gift to feel understood. Yeah. Um, and to, to your point um, about the, the Enneagram going deeper, that has been my experience. Because mm -hmm. what the Enneagram is resting upon is not the premise of this is sort of the way you are. So learn your strengths and, um, you know, your weaknesses. It's like, for example, the type one is, is very detail oriented, right? They're, they're um, pretty, pretty focused on right and wrong. Um, so... A, like a misuse of the Enneagram would be to say, oh, well, I'm a one, so I should be, you know, an accountant. Like I should just be, you know, a detail oriented, uh, um, strict following the rules individual. Mm -hmm. um, the Enneagram really says that is just a lens through which you are perceiving the world and you're, you're missing so much of the world because of that lens. Mm. So part of the, the work of the Enneagram is, is really learning to shift to, to, you know, bring awareness. Um, first thing is noticing and then pausing, mm -hmm. recognizing that something's occurring here. Some pattern is occurring and then allowing whatever comes to come, you know, maybe there's some resistance or some emotion that comes with it. 
And then only after you started this process of awareness and really, you know, this compassionate sense, then you can shift. You can drop your 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 type structure mm-hmm. in a way. Um, mm-hmm. You don't need to be so. Um, one of my teachers speaks of this as being a, a you're a zombie. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're all in some version of zombiedom a lot of the day, yeah. uh, a lot of our lives. And some of us just, um, for whatever reason, got fortunate enough to have this horrible want to wake up from zombiedom. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I work with a coach who refers to it as tranquilized obviousness. <laughs> <laughs> That's Which, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. <laughs> yeah. So, so the Enneagram, it, what it what it offers is it's not you know it's not a system in itself. Like it's not original design. We would say the Enneagram is structured around um, various perennial philosophies, uh, mm-hmm. meaning ideas and themes that come up in literature, spiritual texts, philosophy, throughout the last you know. Uh, since basically since man has been thinking about what it is that we're here mm-hmm. for um, and it just assembles it in a, in a, in a process and in a combination of interlocking ideas, concepts um, and beliefs that really can shift um, and wake you up. Uh, so it's, I always say it's like, it's not, it's not the, it's not a religion. <laughs> it's not, right. uh, you know, it's not something to sort of bow at the altar of, but it is a, it is a map Yeah. Uh, at a time and in a space where a lot of us feel like we're kind of wandering around in the dark. I think maps are really, really useful. Oh man. That's a great way to say it. Yeah. Having these lenses through which to view things is enormously helpful to, yeah. as we're trying to make sense of an ever changing world, right. To have some sort of not fixed, but some sort of lens that we can apply in a lot of different situations to help better understand things. Yeah. Um, I'm a seven. Oh, great. I'm a seven. I love sevens. Sevens are my favorite. <laughs> We're not supposed to have favorites, but it feels like every person who I fall in love with is seven. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This friendship was meant to be. Um, I, I, I loved it. I, I loved taking the assessment. Um, mm. I should mention it's not lengthy um so it's it's mm-hmm. you know very very easy to do i was going to read the last line of my assessment Go uh, for it. <laughs> that says the path to growth is to balance the three centers of intelligence which for you as a type seven means to quiet your monkey mind by getting more grounded in your body and connecting more with your heart and I, that is really really spot on and you know as i mentioned earlier in the conversation something that I've really been in pursuit of um, is, you know, how to do that just to give everyone a little more kind of context of type seven, or do you want to do this? Give a little context for type seven. That might be more interesting than me just reading off of my assessment that's sitting in front of me either way. Yeah. I mean, I'm happy to, um, yeah, this is a good example. So I, 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 I would love to talk about the seven, not necessarily go through online types, but it's a great, a great way to kind of dial in towards like when we talk about an Enneagram type, what are we talking about? Yeah, um, great. Yeah, so um, the, the seven, the, the worldview of the seven, seven's learned early in life. Um, we can, you know, there's a whole sidebar conversation there about where did Enneagram types develop? Was it in the womb? Is it pre-birth? Is it at birth? Unfortunately, we can't test blood for Enneagram type. <laughs> um, so, so needless to say, at a very young age, we uh, are starting to absorb lessons in life yeah, um, and make sense of them somehow. So the seven learned early in life that um, the world, when left to its own, will limit us and cause pain. Hmm. So the way that they cope with that sense of limitation that the world will, if I let the world wash over me, it will limit me, is mm-hmm. I'm going to keep my options available and I'm going to tune into what is delightful, pleasant, mm-hmm. fun. All of the different types in sort of nine different ways pay attention to the sort of one area of the world that we believe the designer of the universe, let's call that God for a moment, mm-hmm. forgot or left out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the sevens feel like if... So, Everything is great, except that God forgot about this limiting thing 
that the world limits mm-hmm. and that I need to therefore create um, limitlessness. Yeah. Opportunity, fun. So the seven is so good at paying attention to the positive, fun, delightful sides of life. They are curious mm. minds. They live in their heads very often. You know, as you sort of spoke about that, that monkey mind, they have a gift for this, right? It's a super strength that they have of, they can see and imagine into the future. They can create all sorts of visions that none of us who aren't a seven don't have access to. The challenge for the seven is that underlying all of that is this fear. And often it's unconscious. Sevens tend to be pretty bright people, pretty fun, pretty radiant. I would um, agree. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, they're they're smart. They're attractive. They're just... <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but over time, what sevens can start to wake up is to is that they are there is an avoidance of what is uncomfortable, painful, um, and that starts to stack up. Hmm. You know, it can work for a little while. All of our patterns work great for a little while, and then at a certain point, they just start to. You know, it's like uh, the interest just builds up. Mm-hmm. So um, the work for a seven, as you said, is um, to start to tune into the idea that pain is not limiting, that hardship is not going to, um, you know, make you obsolete, but in fact is a part of the deep and beautiful tapestry of the world. Hmm. And that it will, by only focusing on the top half, you're really denying yourself the capacity to fully grow and be a part of the world. Hmm. So, um, like, great. Okay. Sounds cool. But what do I do about that? Um, <laughs> this is where, as you said in there, the, the three centers of intelligence is a big premise that the Enneagram leans upon that we have. It's not a premise. It's a, it's a fact. We have three, three centers of intelligence, three different, you know, from a neurological level, three sort of neurological bundlings of information that attach to our, our mind to our heart center, sort of right in the middle of our chest, and then to our gut, which anatomically speaking is about three inches below and in from a belly button. So really sort of right in the digestinal system. Mm. And there's a, there's a lot of um, knowledge that uh, is being communicated through these systems all the time. And some each Enneagram type has a default that we tend to tune more into and therefore a type that we tend to tune out. Um, or a, a center or two that we tune out. Um, so the sevens are going to be more focused on the head. Mm. They prefer to live in their minds. They have a delightful time in there. It sounds great. Um, <laughs> but for a seven to slow down, check into the emotions, um, particularly what's uncomfortable. You know, I know that mm-hmm. sevens starting to wake up to fear can be really uncomfortable. So it's like a, a practice of going slow and um, slow in general can be tough for sevens going slow, Mm -hmm. tuning into the heart and then tuning into the body, you know, grounding. Mm -hmm. Um, I love, by the way, that you're a seven and you're doing a podcast about listening. (laughs) That is like the best medicine you could ever give yourself. Right. (laughs) That is part of the reason I'm doing it, right? When when there's something that you look at in your life and you think, I need to be better at this, then that's sort of the way I, I do things is I go after it and try and do a deep dive, right? Yeah. And really get into it and put myself in the middle of it. Yeah, it's so good. Because, you know, I mean, the pattern for the seven is that they they typically, their mind is moving so quickly um, that it can be tough to kind of tune out and listen fully and wholly. You know, and a lot of the guests that I saw you have, it's so much about like a, a, a holistic sense of listening, which mm-hmm. is beautiful. So I, I really appreciate what you're, what you're creating and creating for yourself. Oh, thanks. It, it's been an it's been an incredible thing, and as I mentioned earlier, it's something I I do with my whole heart. Believe that it's necessary. Mm-hmm. That that the impact of these conversations is something that's needed in the world, and then mm-hmm. also understanding more about ourselves and about those those around us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and starting to understand how we learn those things. Mm. Yeah. Again, in that in that conversation with with Julian, uh, you there was this conversation about like we all have filters, mm-hmm. yeah. um, 
And then there was a little bit of an inquiry of like, like, how do we know what our filters are? Like, how do we how do we pay attention to them? And this is one of the things that I love about the Enneagram is that it does offer um, some options <laughs> yeah. for what tend to be <clears throat> based on your personality, some listening filters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like to think of it not so much, you know, I want to sort of break away from the idea of listening as a as a an auditory as, as purely an auditory experience. For Absolutely. Moment, right. Yep. Please. And it's more like we, we have a layered membrane around our system and um, we just have a default. Mm-hmm. We just, uh, and, and sometimes, you know, it's so the water that we swim in that it's impossible to actually identify until it's on the page in front of us. I noticed I was teaching a session on listening filters. So I, I leave a type four on the Enneagram and, and my, so, so one of my listening filters is, is, um, uh, tuning into like, am I being slighted? Am uh-huh. I being understood? Um, yeah. uh, how, and, and kind of looking, this is just my type. I'm just kind of looking for evidence of how am I inferior? Cause I've mm-hmm. got this sort of deeply seated belief underneath the mechanism. Of the four is like, there's something missing. There's something wrong with me. So yeah. I'm listening for evidence out there that can support that belief. Sure. Uh, it's uh, part of one. Sometimes the four is called the tragic romantic. And it's like, gosh, isn't that tragic? It really mm. is tragic. <laughs> yeah. Looking for it. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm hunting for like, how am I not yeah. good enough? How am I not good enough? Exactly. Um, and again, it's unconscious, but I noticed that as I was teaching this, um, this uh, class on listening filters, I noticed that my listening filter just started really going up of mm-hmm. like, I was getting a little feedback and I just thought, oh yeah, you're like uh, underneath, there was this like, yep, evidence building for why this is bad, why I'm wrong, why this right. is a horrible idea. Yeah, <laughs> And it's like the more that we get reactive, again, sort of pulling into this, the, the CLG work, the more we sort of descend below the line, the world is uh, happening to us, we're at the effect of it, the more our reactive patterns come up and the more we fixate on our personalities. Mm. So this is where, um, you know, the sense of relaxation is not just sort of a concept. It's like, I need to relax my type here, relax the body and notice Am I willing to lower my filters a little bit and actually hear what's being said, what I'm experiencing, the data information coming from outside and not just um, listening for what I'm choosing to, to affirm Mm -hmm. the belief of who I think I am. Right. Well, and, and who you think the other person is in the equation also. Right. Right. Exactly. Well, yeah. Cause if I'm the, the victim as sort of so often happens with my type, then I'm going to need to find a hero or a villain somewhere. So, right. Right. (laughs) How dramatic. Yes, I know. Right. So so delicious. (laughs) Yeah. Hey everybody. It's Tim. My team and I work really hard to make this show meaningful for all of you. And we'd love to hear from you about what you're liking and also what you might want more of. I'm easy to find on Instagram at Moti Myers. That's M O T M Y E R S. And always happy to hear from you via email. That's timothy at timothymyers.com. Also, if you're enjoying what you're hearing and would be willing to leave a rating and a review or pass on to a friend, that helps a lot. Back to the show. I think you created a really beautiful segue here, thinking about listening as a non-auditory thing, right? Mm -hmm. And because this is something I really want to get into more yeah. Um, on, on the podcast. And this is one of the reasons why this whole body yes framework just screamed out to me as, yeah. as something that people will really benefit from understanding, giving themselves permission to utilize this framework, to really understand it and, and accept what comes up with it. So I'm, I'm wondering if you could take us there now. Yeah, I'll take you there. The whole body, yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's it's one of my favorite practices um, because it's, um, I mean, it's just so it's so. Uh, what's the word for it? It's everywhere. Um, mm-hmm. Ubiquitous, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. Like, yeah. it's you can always be tuning into. This is not like a tick. I learned how to do this, and now I'm good. Right. 
So the whole body, yes, operates from that idea that I mentioned previously, that we are three-brained beings. We have three centers of intelligence. We have our head, we have our heart, and we have our mm -hmm. gut. And a whole body, yes, is simply a sense that all three centers of intelligence are aligned in a yes. And uh, that takes time for most mm. of us. Yeah. Um, we tend to favor one of those centers and therefore override the others. Mm. So, for example, some of us really put a lot of focus on the head. Um, let's say uh, I'm, you know, debating, should I, should I go to dinner with my friend on Saturday? Let's say mm. my head might say, Ooh, yeah, great. Okay. So this is a great little connection. I really want to, you know, this is a, this is a moment that I, I it'll work out great. The, the travel won't be so bad. Um, I want to catch up with this friend because I want to talk about this, 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 you know, the mind is very busy. The mind uses yeah. a lot of words and a lot of rationalization, a lot of justification, um, a lot of paying attention to shoulds mm. uh, can kind of come from the mind talking yourself into something. You know, it's something that we say a lot, right? And it's like our mind gets into that. And then we have our hearts. And the heart is really sort of the emotional center. And it, it some of us, if we sort of, this is my dominant center. And so I'll really lean towards what I want. Um, mm. uh, it just feels right. I talk about feeling. I feel like. You might notice yourself if you're a heart center. You speak a lot in terms of I feel or, versus I think or I, I believe. And uh, this is a great way to sort of, so when I tune into my friend and dinner, it's like a, oh yeah, that feels, mm. yeah, I notice like some, some, some joy, some heat, I get excited, mm -hmm. uh, my heart's a little bubbly. And then there's the, the gut, the body. And this is the one that can feel, you know, this, what we call like BQ, like embodied intelligence. This can be the most, um, uh, like, uh, tricky, I think for, for a lot of us, we don't necessarily have sort of default built in language around our bodies and the intelligence mm. that they hold. We have things like, you know, I just had a, uh, like, what does your gut tell you? You know, sort of yeah, that kind of sure. logic. But what we want to wake up to is like our bodies are just these deeply intuitive, deep knowing systems that can uh, generally they're very binary, you know, where the mind is chitter, chatter, chitter, chatter. The, the heart is a little like, ooh, yeah, this, you know, kind of emotions move and they change a lot. Yeah. Yeah. The body tends to really be centered in a yes or a no. Hmm. And that might not be like a pang. You know, we'll talk a little bit about that. But the body is a, a real gift if we're willing to listen to it of what feels of service to us what feels like a good use of our energy our time so when i tune into do i want to go to dinner with my friend on saturday i notice like a little sinking in my gut like kind of pulling backwards into my chair and notice like my breath kind of gets a little shallow mm -hmm. and it's like that to me those are signals that it's a no Mm. And we might not need to know why, but it's just a, it's a, it's a signal that I've learned. I'm learning to pay a little more attention to. The idea here is that if we don't listen to our bodies, yeses and nos, if we don't learn to listen on the whisper, as one of my um, mm. good friends tells me, the body will start to talk. Mm. And if we don't listen to the body talking, the body will start to shout. And if we don't listen to the shout, the body will start to punch. So there is some version of this where what you're actually doing is a real um, devoted act to your own well-being. Mm -hmm. That it's not just, I should get what I want. But it's if you, if you don't learn to navigate this, eventually the body will start to rebel. Mm -hmm. And how do you use this framework? Is it just simply sort of putting yourself in a, in a, in a place where you can do the scan of these three different yeah. parts of, of your being. 
Yeah. So eventually it turns into, right, like, you know, it can be big life stuff. Um, <laughs> should I marry this person? Yes or no? Sure. Right. Right. <laughs> but it's it's really nice to start with, you know, kind of the simple things in life. So um, I can just guide us on. Yeah, I think you'd mentioned like maybe wanting to offer a little practice and I'm happy but to offer just a little practice. Just start by um, tuning into the the vibration, the sensation of your body right now. So I like to check in first with my head and see like, what's the weather pattern in my mind? You might notice um, images, patterns. You might notice thoughts coming. Just pay some attention to the mind. And then put your attention on your heart center. So right in the middle of the chest. And again, you might notice some sensations. You might be able to name some emotions. Don't get too sophisticated here. We just want to notice what's here. So like I notice a little pressure in my chest. Um, that sensation often aligns with fear. So I'd say there's some fear here. And then bring that attention down into the gut. So again, like I said, it's, it's, it's really in and deep, a few inches below and in from the belly button. And just notice any sensations that are there. And then as we sit with this, you know, I like to do this with my eyes closed. It sort of helps me bring that attention inward. But um, if you want to keep your eyes open, you can just sort of soften your gaze. And we just want to insert some circumstances and just notice what, if anything, shifts or changes in the body. So First, I want to just invite you to bring your attention to something that was really of service to you. Something that you've done recently, decided to do, that you thought, yeah, that was good. It doesn't need to be, you know, work. It could be maybe you decided to take a trip. Maybe you decided to tell someone something. Maybe you did something brave and bold, or maybe you just took a nap. <laughs> just tune into something that just felt good to do. And notice what happens in your system. Maybe you notice something shifts, maybe not. I notice that my energy from my belly kind of starts to rise up a little bit, get energy, like I could go for a walk. I notice that my throat feels a little bit more relaxed um, and I'm a little bit less in my head. You know, this might not be so clear for some of you. you might not have a clear sensation or images might come up or thoughts or distractions. That's great. Just want to sort of invite you to trust whatever appears as you tune into this experience. And then I want you to, we're going to swing to the opposite side. I want you to think of something that you did that you really don't want to do again something that was a not good experience. Um, you know, maybe you went against your own will and you did it anyway. And just something that if you did it again, would really not feel good. Maybe seeing a person or traveling to a place. And just notice what happens to your system when you start to 
bring that to your mind. Again, tuning into the belly, noticing any sensations in your body. Sometimes it can be overwhelming to pay attention to the whole body. So I like to pay attention to a single part. Like I might do this exercise just focusing on my shoulders for a little while. We hold a lot in our shoulders. So I always find that my shoulders might raise and lower or paying attention to the, the tummy, or the chest. I notice that when I tune in my, with this, my belly kind of squeezes. It feels like a little acidic and like I, I want to, that sensation I described before, like I want to lean backwards in my chair. Um, my throat feels heavy. I kind of want to put my head down. So this is sort of our compass of like the yes and the no, right? Things and, and you know, some things in life, thankfully, are really clear. Yes and no. A lot of life is pretty ambiguous. Mm. <laughs> so the third offer that I want to have is what we would call a soft no, or what sometimes shows up for me as like a, I don't know. Hmm. And what we would say in, in our work is if it's not a yes, it's a no. Hmm. And I think a lot of times we have an opposite logic. You can open your eyes now, by the way, if you want to <laughs> <Thank> you. <laughs> stay there. Yeah. <laughs> eyes closed is nice. Um, uh, the, 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 the soft no, oftentimes there's a little sensation, maybe one center. Oftentimes it's my heart really wants something mm. like my heart really wants a dog right now. I just really want to get a dog. <laughs> I just, I see, I look out my window, I see you walking dogs all day and I just think, Oh God, if only I just had a dog then my heart would feel complete. But my gut is just, just pulling in the other direction right now. Mm. It's just a no. Mm. Um, so what we'd say is just reverse engineer that a little bit. So often I think we operate from like the, unless it's a clear no, it's a yes. Mm -hmm. So just to uh, invite, you know, all, all y'all out there in space land to just tune into what if I only... What if I had a devotion to yes? Hmm. Wow. And if it's yes with conditions, then it's a no. Have a devotion to yes. I love that. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean I'm going to say yes to everything. It's a yes is a sacred act. Yes is a profound option. What is mine to say and what isn't? What is mine to do and not? Mm -hmm. You know, the not option can be really powerful. Having that choice mm -hmm. is really powerful. Mm. So bringing it back to listening in this practice yeah. and how we've talked about it, I really delved into the non-auditory idea of listening, which I think is incredibly important. And so you can contextualize this question however you want mm. in, um, in, in regards to that. What would the world look like with more listening? Oh, it'd be so much more quiet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so often, you know, I have a joke. My, my, uh, my, my husband, he's Italian American and we go home to his family a lot. And so we watch these like, you know, Instagram videos of his family that everybody's recording during family time and there's just like this question comes up of like who is listening here there's so much talking and it's so fun i love them but there but I, I i do have this thing in life that for myself as well um we do so much you know sound generation and and i'm moving more and more to the belief that what we're doing when we're speaking is we're working to communicate a felt sense. There's mm. something in our system and we pitch it, vibrate, create a certain timbre, enunciation with certain consonant sounds. And, and we're working to like extract that sensation somehow so often. Mm -hmm. And um, if we were able to just experience the experience of those sensations without the need to fill it with thought mm. and then just be open and willing to receive, I just imagine we would probably, you know, make a lot more noise, grunting, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you know, uh, 
and and there would be a lot more stillness Hmm. space in between i love that idea yeah yeah it's like listening um invites us to shift from what so often feels like a, a kind of um a compulsion to overwhelm mm-hmm. um i know that for myself there's like a um i need to fill with more i need more data information like i need more experience and there's an intensifier over here that like it's really whipped up and really wants to get full um believing that there is a full yeah and, oh yeah <laughs> and if i just allow the sense of um my work here is to listen to understand rather than to be understood Mm. and something that you said earlier um i'm going to kind of attach these two concepts you can you can correct me if this is not what you meant but the sort of listening to create meaning Mm -hmm. right as opposed to just listening for the sake of listening yeah and that's a listening filter that a lot of us have there's some uh I need to fit whatever you're saying into some narrative. Maybe mm-hmm. it's, I see myself as an advisor. Mm, I know yeah. this can come in with coaching a lot. I catch myself all the time just starting to tune into, oh, I'm trying to fix this person. Yeah. So right. I'm listening for where is the evidence that I can down to my data bank, flip through the files, pull up, oh, this sheet's going to be great for them, you know, in my head. <laughs> Meanwhile, over there, there's just a human having an experience, believing that they're being heard. So right. that's, it's great practice for us just to check in. I notice myself, I start to do that and it's just like, whoa, okay. Can I pause the person and say, hey, I noticed that I've just sort of drifted out of presence. I went to some listening filter. Hmm. I really want to understand you. Can you just say what you said again? Yeah. I catch myself doing that a lot. And mm-hmm. this was, for example, with my wife, right? There are times where She's saying something and I, like you said, I go into this fixer mode of, I've got a framework or a technology or something I've <laughs> read along the way that can definitely help solve this, right? And yeah. and she just wants to be heard. She just wants me to listen. That's it, not fix. Yeah. And that is, you know, for you as a seven, that's, that's a pattern, right? It's like sitting with um, potentially discomfort, pain, hardship, it's, it mm-hmm. goes against sort of your instinct in a way, yeah. the default. So great work for you of like, okay, I just gonna, I'm just going to understand this person. Yeah. And we, that might mean that we just sort of sit there and shrug and say, yeah, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Nowhere to go. Nothing to do. And, and, and yes. And being fine with that. Yeah. If you could broadcast a simple message that would be translated into all languages, what would it be? <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> uh, if I could broadcast a simple, all oh, the all languages thing, I noticed my mind is like, oh, but it might sound differently. So it can't be, you know, like, oh, geez. In the perfect world where all <laughs> idioms are alike and, you know, um, oh, culturally. Uh, yeah. Well, that would be a boring world actually, but. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think it would be, um, hold it lightly. Mm. Yeah. Fill in whatever it is, life, your job, <laughs> right. right. Uh, the weather today, um, just an invitation to hold it lightly. Hmm. That's amazing. Thanks so much for this conversation, Michael. It's I've loved getting to know more about you and the work that you're doing. And I, I, I know that this is going to be really impactful for our listeners and I'm, Mm. I'm really grateful for the conversation. I love that. Thank you so much, Tim. It's been such a joy to be with you. And, uh, I'm so envious of your conductor life. (laughs) Well, Sometimes I think maybe I should go the coaching direction a little bit. Oh, but, great. You know, oh, we can uh, do like, like the Freaky Friday thing. Like we'll just for one day swap everything. and. Yeah, there we goes. go. I love it. Love it. That'd be amazing. Oh, brilliant. Thanks so much, Michael. I really appreciate this. Thank you for listening to Listening on Purpose. 
hosted by me, Timothy Myers. I hope you're enjoying our deep dive into the world of listening and that you're finding it useful in your life. Please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And if you're enjoying the show, please share it with others and leave a rating and review. That really helps. You can visit listeningonpurpose.com for show notes and to subscribe to our email newsletter, which includes special episode highlights, more information about our guests, advance notice of some upcoming special events, and other news. You can find out more about me at timothymyers.com, and from there connect with me on social media platforms like Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Listening on Purpose is a production of Extra Musical. Executive producers are Meredith Carter of Maduras Media and yours truly. Creative strategist is Julie Fiore. Listening on Purpose is edited by Brian Baltashevitz for Balto Creative Media. Our original music was composed by DJ Spar and performed by DJ and Kimberly Spar. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time for Listening on Purpose.